if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Push that button over there, Mr. Venice, please. Thank you very much as we get started <laughs> at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. Uh, we're always good for one of those a week, roughly, one of those a week. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock as we start on this Monday, the eighth morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2021. We appreciate you being a part of our conversation this morning, and we invite you to be a part of it much more personally at 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Save those numbers in your phone if you have not yet done so, or put it on a little sticky note next to your phone, or whatever it is uh, that you need to do to remember. It, uh, so that you can always call in whenever the urge strikes you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Before I tell you about anything having to do with today's show, let us do our regular daily pause for the pledge. If you are not driving right now, would you please stand up, place your hand over your heart, and join us. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yes, indeed. It makes us feel good. It makes liberals feel bad to hear the Pledge of Allegiance. So that's why we start it that way each and every day. Coming up on the program, we're going to be talking in an, I think our first guest isn't until... uh the uh, 1035 slot, I believe. So we are guest-free until 1035 when Tommy Hicks, uh, former uh, RNC uh, member, is going to be joining us to talk about a whole host of things here in the state of Ohio and in the uh, national political world. But uh, between now and then, we've got a lot of things to do on our own. First of all, I want to just hit briefly the interview last night. I, I Look, I'm going to tell you point blank here, and this is going to sound you know, not so great, because... We're allies with England. The United Kingdom, uh, they're our friends. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to rehash old battles, but the original battle, this always strikes me as funny. The original battle that this country was, was involved in was the battle that made us a country. And the reason we wanted to depart from the kingdom um, 
is because of the horrendous, oppressive manner in which the British crown treated the American colonialists. We went to war for liberty against the crown. We went to war in the Revolutionary War to declare our independence and to declare our freedom from tyranny, the tyranny brought on by the British monarchy. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about this because I don't understand the American fascination with the British royal family. I just don't. We, we don't have, you know, a great history with monarchies. We just don't. Now, again, now I'm, ta- I'm not talking about England and I'm not talking about the people. And I'm not really even talking about the descendants of the royal family that created so much havoc and took so many lives and oppressed and, 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 and tortured so many. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about the descendants of those people because they are not to be blamed for, you know, for the uh, uh, crimes of people of the past any more than we are here when people talk about reparations and that sort of thing. But the bottom line is there is a fascination with the British royal fam- family here in the United States that I think is just inappropriate. It's a, it's a fascination. It's a love. Brian Kilmeade, who is otherwise a good, I shouldn't even say otherwise, he just is a good, strong, conservative guy. He's on Fox and Friends. He's about the only one on that show that I like because Steve Ducey is a dork and Ainsley is just a bubblehead. Um, but Brian, Brian Kilmeade today was talking about he watched every second of it, and he admits he loves the royal family. He loves it. He can't get enough of it. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. This is not a this is not a good part of uh, you know our our great relationship with England was forged by by the non royals, our great relationship with with England was forged by leaders of their parliament with Winston Churchill and others who you know uh, basically started calling the shots for for England rather than allowing the family the royal family to do that and of course there's a weird little dynamic that goes on in England and I don't really care to get into the specifics of it as much as I do or don't understand them. But England is much better run by, you know, its prime minister and its parliament than by its royal family. And the royal family has some real royal baggage. I don't like the royal family. I'm not a fan of paying homage to them. I would never have been caught dead in front of the screen when, uh, you know, however many people, millions of people around the world watched the wedding of Princess Die to Prince Charles. I could give a rip. Because again, we're talking about the you know the the lineage that goes back to some really really bad stuff. And while these people can't be blamed for it, and I would never call for them to be blamed for it, I don't need to be honoring them and thus their lineage. That's it. So having said that, I wouldn't have watched last night and didn't watch last night, but my wife did, and so it was on in the room a few times when I came in. I was doing some work prepping today's show, and I came down and watched a little bit of uh, of what was going on there because that's what she was watching. And I'll be honest with you, um, it's a it's a it's a train wreck. This Meghan Markle person and and Prince Harry. This is a train wreck. While I don't give a rip about the royal family, I do have a bit of an issue with some of what I heard last night, including the allegations from Meghan Markle that there is a member of the royal family, which, who knows? 
I was listening to Piers Morgan talking about this today, who's very much involved. He, of course, is British uh, with the royal family, who said this was a direct accusation against the queen that the queen and members of the royal family are racists. How do we know that? Because of this amazing exchange in that interview between Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, the American Meghan Markle who pulled Prince Harry away from the crown and away from the royal family, and they're living just as celebrities in Los Angeles now, which is just pretty much unheard of. But this is one of the reasons why Meghan Markle, who comes off with the likability of uh, the Wicked Witch of the West, as far as I'm concerned, this is, um, this is one of the reasons why. In those months when I was pregnant, all around this same time, so we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security, he's not going to be given a title, and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who... Who is having that conversation with you? What? So, um... There is a conversation. Hold up. Hold up. There's Stop several right now. There are several conversations. There's a conversation it. with you... With Harry. ...about how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? I think that would be very damaging to them. Okay. So how, how does one have that meeting? <laughs> that was relayed to me from Harry. Those were conversations mm. that family had with him. And I think... Um, Whoa. It was really hard to be able to see those as compartmentalized they were conversations. That if he were too brown, that that would be a problem. Are you saying that? I wasn't able to follow up with why, but that if that's the assumption you're making, I think that feels like a pretty safe one, which is really. So there it is. Um, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry accusing the British royal family, which rises all the way up, of course, to the Queen, such as it is, of being racist, being worried about what color their baby would be because of the mixed race um, union between Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Now, I'm going to be 100% honest with you about two things. Number one, the first time Meghan Markle appeared on a TV screen that I was watching or a computer screen or a phone screen when she became the, you know, the, the love of Harry's life and whatever. And you know, the celebrity stuff hits. Um, I had never heard of her before. No clue who she was. And I can tell you it was months before I found out that she was biracial. It was months. Because she does not look anything other that like anything other as far as I'm concerned, um, than you know maybe a little bit of a tanned white girl. I never knew she was black or part black, half black, never. And the most important part of this story is didn't care, still don't. 
But I only care now when she is claiming that the royal family is racist. Because I'll tell you something. Harry, if you relayed that story to Megan, as she said, and Megan, if you're telling it on national, international television, you better be able to prove it. Because in the woke era, my friends, there is nothing worse than being called a racist. Nothing. Because then you have to go about the rest of your public life trying to prove a negative, trying to prove that you're not. Otherwise, you will be branded as one. And not every single member of the royal family, all of them, are being branded as racist because they won't say which one had the conversation about little Prince Archie's skin color and how dark it might be. In fact, one might argue that if you change the letter, one letter, I don't know that it's worse to be called racist than it is rapist in 2021 in the woke world. So she called the royal family racist, which is just the latest example. And I'm going to tell you something else. This is part two. Meghan Markle, who I, again, watched only very brief portions of last night, uh, but then, of course, listened and saw some of the coverage this morning. Um, Meghan Markle is, by trade, an actress. That's something else I didn't know because, again, I had never heard of her. I'd never seen anything that she was in, or at least if I did, I didn't know that it was her. She's an actress, and what I saw last night was one heck of a good performance. She is playing Oprah and the rest of the American audience and the international audience, uh, I think, like a, like a, like a baby grand piano. That's what she is doing. And there is direct damage here that is done to the royal family. So, again, my, my, my interest in this is fleeting because I don't care about the royals. I don't care about you know the, the, the ongoing monarchy that goes back to a time and even prior to the American Revolution, but to some horrific treatment of conquered peoples uh, all, over, all over the globe, really, with the British Empire. Um, they were just brutal. And I don't feel like honoring the, you know, the, the lineage of the brutality. Again, any more than I would honor the lineage of the Roman Empire. Any more than I would honor the, uh, you know, the lineage of the Ottoman Empire. Any more, I mean, you just go back. But I don't like people being accused of things like racism without just cause. Because you can never unring that bell then. And that's what she just did here. It's pretty amazing. If you watched it, if you care about it at all, and you want to be heard about it, we are guest-free until 1035. So we'll talk about this and a lot more other important things, including the passage of the uh, ridiculous $1.9 trillion demon bill. We'll talk about that. Talk about HR1 and so much more coming up on the Bob France Authority. Nine twenty four. Now we continue. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. I'm going to repeat what I said a moment ago about these two. Uh, you know, Meghan Markle in particular, but Prince Harry, pretty much identical. I, 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 maybe it's just my 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 disdain for the whole royal thing, but they just come off as so unlikable, especially when you have her playing her little silent nodding and yeah, that we're worried about how dark my child might be. I, I'll. Dark as she. I can't even. I never knew she was. She was biracial. And she looks like a white girl who went to the tanning bed. That's it. 
And by the way, I didn't see this part again, but I told you my wife was watching it. And uh, she said uh, apparently she went on one of those goodwill to South Africa tours that like Princess Diana used to go on all the time, you know, seeing all the little kids and that sort of thing. And she said it was so important to her that she uh, or that those little kids there saw a royal who looked like them. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure those little kids are looking up at her and going, my God, am I looking into a mirror? No, no, no. They didn't see anybody look like And here's Prince Harry. The likability of a guy who grows up in a family with the... You ever hear about the term white privilege? Well, it means nothing compared to royal privilege. And he's talking about how hard it is to be trapped in such a terrible existence. Had this life your whole life. This has been your life your whole life. Yeah, but, you know, I was trapped, but I didn't know I was trapped. Hmm. But the moment that I met Meg, and then our worlds sort of collided in the most amazing of ways, and then to see how the Please race... Please explain how you, Prince Harry, raised in a palace, in a life of privilege, literally a prince, how you were trapped. Trapped within the system, like the rest of my family are. My father and my brother, they are trapped. My father and my brother are trapped. They're trapped living a life of literal, actual royalty. People bow before them for reasons I don't understand, because, again, I will not continue to belabor the point about that, but still, they literally have people bow before them. They have unlimited wealth. They have almost unlimited power to do almost anything that they want. They are bound by nothing, and he's trying to tell us how trapped it is to be a royal. I'd rather go live on the millions of dollars that I will continue to receive as a member of the royal family, or the millions of pounds, if you will, in Los Angeles with my uh, you know, D-list celebrity wife, uh, D-list actress wife, and uh, and not be so trapped. I mean, honestly, it's just they come off with the likability of a, I don't know, of a goiter. Uh, let's go to, uh, Dave is in, uh, Brunswick. Dave, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Do I have Dave? Hi. Oh, my screen jacked up. Oh, I got no, it now. it's Dave. I got you, Dave. Go ahead, sir. Hey, I wanted to, uh, I understand, uh, this is pretty significant. People are looking at your, uh, at your issue. I, I do want to also note, um, I had run across a picture of, George Gascon from a district attorney who appeared to take an oath of office with his wife. Dave, I'm going to put you on hold, okay? Because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, yeah, let me put you on hold. My apologies. Uh, I, we're going into a different area that I can't do in the last two minutes before this break here. I want to stay on, on, on the topic, okay? We'll come back and talk about that topic later if you want. Amy and Hudson, you're on AM 1420 The Answer. Amy, go right ahead. Thank you. Uh, I'll be brief. Um, I wanted to help you with your confusion about uh, people's interest in the royal family of England. Yeah, please. I, I wanted to say that for centuries, people all over the world have been interested in a royalty, in a family, in prince and princesses and kings and queens. And I'm referring back to the, uh, uh, there's a, a fable, fables, that are stories, done by the Grimm Brothers, yeah, an sure. old, old book. And uh, also, look at Walt Disney, how many movies he has made 
about royalty and about princesses and about princes who kiss a girl. Yeah, I, I, and I know that, Amy, but I'm not talking about fantasy royalty in books, in children's books, or in movies and things. No, I'm talking no, about no, in I'm the real life, real life royal families who wield their royal power, you know, with with just extraordinary barbarism and have through you know through human history, you know, monarchies have subjugated the people that they that they oversee uh, in terrible ways. It's why we made sure to get rid of kings and queens and we built ourselves a constitutional republic and it just blows my mind that people continue to pay homage almost and royal respect to that royal family that we literally had to go to war to get away from i understand your point i do Mm -hmm. but try to listen to i'm not defending royalty oh no absolutely not but i'm trying to explain the interest that people have in royalty. If you read any of the uh, European papers, they are always talking about uh, the Belgians and Swedish and the Norwegian uh, kings and queens and princesses. It is a fascination that they grew up with. And that is a fascination that many Americans... Amy, you make a very fair point there. Uh, And I will grant it to you. Fascination with. And I get that. And and thank you for your phone call. Um, it's, It's To me, it isn't like the issue isn't fascination, being fascinated with royalty as a thing. It is the almost subjectation of people. And that may not even be a word, but when people subject themselves as being beneath the royals, people almost act like, that's a king, he's better than me. That's a prince, he's better than me. Meghan Markle, Markle and Kate Middleton marry into it, and Diana, uh, whatever her last name was, Princess of Wales, marry into it, and they're now royal. They're better than me. People look at it not with just fascination, but with almost, almost awe-inspiring, uh, you know, uh, feelings that that these people are special somehow. They're godlike, and they're not. They're just descendants of people who killed a ton of other people in order to establish their quote-unquote kingdom and then started having babies that were their heirs and their princes and the next kings and queens. And it was just, ooh, they're not holy. They're not holy. I just have a problem with it. That's it. Love England. (laughs) Good people. Love the U.K. in general. They're our allies. They're our friends. The royal family, you can have them. I'll be right back. of Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Onward we roll 936. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. You may have noticed when I said we only have one guest today coming up at 1035, that would uh, push us right past 948 and your expected Jim Jordan conversation. But uh, Congressman Jordan has a schedule conflict today. He is rebooked for Thursday's program. So uh, you will hear Congressman Jordan at 935 on Thursday. Fear not. We will get our Jordan fix. And I really do need that every week because... Uh, with all of the stuff that I continue to see excuse me, happening uh, with the Senate and House Democrats uh, literally just picking this republic apart and chopping it down, literally, you know, one axe blow after the other, uh, I need somebody to kind of uh, fight back for us. And that's one of the things that he does. Let's start there, as a matter of fact, as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. 
you knew this was going to pass the House, and it did. There was a chance that the $1.9 trillion Democrat dream bill, which they call a COVID relief bill, that but, but that literally does nothing, well, next to nothing for COVID relief when it comes to the people who have been just completely destroyed by the virus and the response to the virus. Uh, and it's important that we make that that part known, by the way. The virus and the response to the virus. We always have to point that out. Uh, like Christy Noem said. Christy Noem said very directly and very correctly. Ooh, I like that. Directly and correctly. Uh, the virus did not, or the pandemic did not, crush the economy. The government crushed the economy. She was spot on when she said that at CPAC, and she's spot on right now. But at any rate, uh, the 91% of this Democrat boondoggle is going for things other than coronavirus relief and relief for those who were crushed by government actions here, businesses and workers and employees uh, who were crushed by this. And I, we knew it was going to pass the House. I thought there might be a chance that a cinema or a mansion or somebody would be, would be bold enough to stop it from passing in the Senate. But not only did it pass the Senate, it passed the Senate without any of, or very, I think with a scant two or three amendments offered by the Republicans. Republicans, to their credit, and I don't like Mitch McConnell much more than you do, but to their credit, the Senate Republicans led by McConnell made them vote on, on a voterama Thursday and Friday, they made them vote on so many different elements of this so that they would get the senators on the record that what they voted to support and what they voted not to support and so many amendments offered by the Republicans. It could have made this terrible monstrosity a tiny bit. And like I said, it wouldn't have made a big difference, but a tiny bit more palatable. That's all we were looking for. And the Democrats wouldn't even do that. You know, I said shortly after the Georgia election results, the uh, the runoff, when we, we lost control of the Senate, that we just have to tread water until 2022. And I know we'll get to H.R. 1 in a moment, or House Bill 1, I should say. Um, but I said we just have to tread water and hope that there is a courageous Democrat moderate senator, I said because they're not all radical socialists like Bernie Sanders, that maybe somebody who's somewhat moderate like Manchin would side with us once in a while and would not vote to take the most radical, drastic turn in American governmental history towards socialism. I said he's not going to go with us every time because he's got a kind of a purplish state situation going on. He's got Democrats in West Virginia that elected him. Talking about Manchin only here right now. Uh, but he's also got a huge red portion of that state as well. So I said, you know, we can, we have to just count on the fact that he won't side with them on the biggest issues, on ending the legislative filibuster, for example, on greenlighting the Green New Deal, for example, on voting to, you know, make Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico states that he won't go full uh, to abolish the Electoral College, to pack the Supreme Court with 11 or 13 or 15 members. That's kind of what I said we have to hope for. But I I said knowing that he's going to disappoint us sometimes. This was one of those times. This direct um, 
bill, this spending bill, this $1.9 trillion in which 91% of it go to Democrat pet projects, and also go to allow illegal aliens to receive stimulus payments, it allows convicted felons living their lives behind bars to relief, receive stimulus payments, and we don't have to go into the $300 million for the arts and the $300 million for the humanities and all of the other garbage that has nothing to do. The tunnel in San Francisco in Pelosi's home district to expand BART access, none of it has anything to do with COVID relief. But while as bad as this is, and as I said, we were kind of hoping, or at least I was kind of hoping that Manchin might see this as one of the bigger ones where he's going to part from his Democrat colleagues, but he didn't. That doesn't mean all is lost, and I'm kind of in a I'm kind of in a tough spot right now because I do not want to say all is lost. We still can tread water. This is going to hurt. This is going to leave a lot leave a lot of marks on us. Our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren just got another two trillion dollars of the debt added to their uh, to their um, uh, gift that we are leaving them when we're dead and gone. Two trillion dollars more in debt for zero or next to zero benefit for the actual people. Um, and so I, I, I'm kind of in a spot here where I don't want to just preach doom and gloom. I say we can still tread our water, uh, knowing that this this is a bite, this, this hurts a little bit, but it's not going to end us between now and 2022, so we're still holding out. And I want to be optimistic in that regard. I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but... when I take you to the second big federal or you know congressional issue of the day... It's going to be a little harder to remain optimistic. It's going to be very, very difficult if House Bill or House Resolution 1 is indeed also passed this monstrosity of a spending bill. Because House Resolution 1 will almost make 2022, which was our, our kind of our, our, our uh, break wall, if you will, H.R. 1 would eliminate that as a possibility for us. And it is being pushed, and it is being bandied about uh, very, very seriously right now in the Senate. So much so that while Joe Biden continues to push for H.R. 1 to be passed, which would simply codify virtually every voter fraud tactic that was used in the November twenty third or November third twenty twenty one election. I'm sorry, November third twenty twenty election. It would essentially codify all of those things. It would make them all standard, such as all mail in voting, such as same day registration, such as no voter ident- uh, identification, no uh, photo ID requirements, such as no signature match requirements. We are talking about the most extreme attack on our democracy. And I, when I, you understand what I mean when I say our democracy. We are a republic, but the system by which we vote for our elected officials is democracy. The democratic process is now under an attack that it has never been under before. And it is so much in danger with H.R. 1 that Joe Biden yesterday signed executive orders aimed at, again, if this, essentially that would that would take the place of HR1 if it doesn't pass the Senate. I hope that wasn't too confusing. 
H.R. 1 has already passed the House, this bill to radically transform our entire democratic process, our entire electoral system, giving so much power to the federal government rather than to the states as the Constitution requires. If it doesn't pass the Senate, Joe Biden's failsafe here is what uh, an executive order that he passed yesterday to essentially take all of those elements and saying, well, it's because I say so. If I can't get it done legislatively, here, I'll tie this to my first su- subject of the day, which was the monarchy. Here's Joe Biden picking up his scepter and saying, I will it to be, and my will shall be done, acting like he's a monarch. It is the policy of my administration, he said, to promote and defend the right to vote for all Americans who are legally entitled to participate in elections. It is the responsibility of the federal government to expand access to and education about voter registration and election information and to combat misinformation in order to uh, enable all eligible Americans to participate in our democracy, end quote. The key word being eligible. Eligible. You cognitively declined geezer. All we want is for only eligible voters to vote. Your party, by way of what you have done in the past and by way of what is proposed in H.R. 1 and by what is in your legis- or your uh, uh, executive order here, are concerned with allowing non-eligible people to vote. Because without requiring uh, photo identification, without requiring signature matches, without requiring um, uh, 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 in-person voting, excuse me, by allowing full-on mail-in voting to take place, we have no earthly idea who is voting and what their eligibility is. You're going to allow millions of illegal aliens to vote. You're going to allow now felons who have been uh, uh, historically, by law, ineligible to vote. Not even when they're released and after they've done their time, but while in prison. First, you're sending felons $1,400 in stimulus bills who are in jail or in prison. Now you're going to send them ballots. People who literally have forfeited their own freedom because of their refusal to follow laws will now be able to vote on the people that make those laws that they break. I mean, this is astounding. Federal prisoners who are currently incarcerated will uh, will be educated on their voting rights, including on whether or not they will be restored once their sentence is completed. Those who are eligible to vote will be registered to do so. The executive order instructs election officials to solicit and facilitate approved nonpartisan third-party organizations, yeah, nonpartisan, and state officials to provide voter registration services on agency premises, and again, on the same day of voting where nobody can be checked and and, uh, vetted. Same day voter registration as the time you vote is essentially giving people a license to cheat. Even though Biden wants the Senate to move forward with H.R. 1, the senior White House, a senior White House official told Fox News that the president's executive order can stem that tide of state voter suppressive action. And this is where it starts to get really irritating. 
When I say that the president urges Congress to take action that would prevent states from attempts at voter suppression, that applies to all states, and it applies to making sure that the federal government and private litigants have the tools necessary to prevent restrictive voting action. And this is, again, where it's going to get very irritating. And I'm going to say something that I've said in the past and I will never back away from. The idea that conservative Republicans are trying is simply insulting. And the idea that voter identification laws, photo ID laws, and signature matching laws, the idea that states putting those voter protective tax, uh, tactics in place is somehow an affront to minority voters is racist. I'm going to continue to beat that drum. You understand? When liberal Democrats say that Republicans who are trying to uh, require voter identification laws or trying to uh, require photo identification in states' laws is an attempt to suppress the black vote, it is about as racist as it gets. Not by the Republicans, but by the Democrats, who simply assume that Democrats don't know how to obtain, or excuse me, uh, that uh, 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 minorities, African Americans, don't know how to obtain photo IDs. It's easy for white people to get them. For black people, man, that's hard, boy. You can't ask them to do that. Do you know how hard it is to get an ID if you're black? I mean, it's really tough. That is about the most insulting thing you can say about a black person is that you are less capable of obtaining a voter identification, or rather a photo identification, than a white person is. That's about as as radical as saying that, you know why black people aren't getting the vaccines in large numbers? Because they don't know how to use computers. And that's what President Joe Biden said last week. Black people are incapable of of handling things like this, according to the Democrats. They're incapable of learning how to get online and register for a vaccination. They're incapable of learning how to get to a DMV and receiving, if they cannot afford one, a free state ID with their picture on it. And if you try to tell them they can, you're really trying to suppress the black vote. This is an astounding time. If H.R. 1 passes the Senate and is signed by Joe Biden, let me bring it full circle here. Our plan to tread water, getting the occasional favor from a Joe Manchin or a Kirsten Cinema until 2022, that plan will be shot to hell. Because come 2022, we can't win elections anyway. If H.R. 1 passes and our electoral system is federalized and the states don't have a right to require some of these things that actually provide election integrity, I don't know where we go from there. All right, 216-901-0945, It's the authority right back. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Actually, if you want to be a part of this program, zero nine four five. Let me go to uh, Dave in Lagrange. Hey, Dave, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, Bob. You mentioned about persons who are incarcerated will be permitted to vote. Did I hear you correctly? 
Yes. Okay. It will be well, well actually actually to be specific, people who are incarcerated are getting the $1400 stimulus bills or payments and they are getting instructions on how to be able to vote when their term is up. So I want to be clear about that. I uh, not they can't necessarily actually vote while they're there, but they are going to be greenlit for voting once they get out, which of course has forever been illegal. Once you uh once you are convicted of a felony, you lose your voting rights. Yeah, you know, and you know what? They're supposed to be rehabilitated, and I have no problem with them voting when they come out. But from what I hear, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the Democrat Party is pushing to get them permitted to vote while they're incarcerated. They now, I heard the reason. I heard the reason for that is because most prisons are located in rural areas, which tend to be Republican, and their vote will be counted out there in those areas where they are incarcerated. And it's very easy to flip those areas because if you look out here in Lorain County, Senator Manning, he just won over like about a thousand votes. You easily got a few thousand incarcerated on Route 83 in Lagrange, which they can easily flip that seat. Um, I don't know that that would work that way. I don't know that they're they're. Their current status as an inmate in one of those facilities is their address, so to speak, in that that's where they would register. Uh, because this is uncharted water here, okay? I don't know if they would say, this is where you live, so your vote would be for this locality, um, as opposed to your actual home address prior to being incarcerated. So if somebody is locked up, would there, you know, if they, let's say you're from Cleveland, but you're incarcerated in, you know, the LCI, Lorraine Correctional Institution, would your vote count? in Lorraine or would it count in Cleveland? I don't know because this is all brand new territory. But I do want to respond to this, Dave, and I thank you for your phone call. I'm going to disagree with you about having no problem with people, quote-unquote, being rehabilitated and being allowed to vote once they are out. I have a major problem with that, and it ties into a call that I received last half hour that I actually cut off because I wanted to stay on the royal thing. And the guy started telling me about um, uh, Gascon, the uh, Los Angeles district attorney, who is pro-criminal and anti-law and anti-shielding uh, of victims. And there's just that's just a fact. Okay, there's I mean it's not in dispute. He is a district attorney that is pro-criminal. He is trying to do everything he can to release every convicted criminal in Los Angeles County. Uh, put them back on the streets. He does not believe in over-criminalization. He does not believe in over-imprisoning um, uh, uh, imprisoning the population, et cetera, et cetera. And he uh, is part of the problem because he was elected. So if you give voter rights to released felons, which we don't now, those felons are going to turn around and vote for whom? People like Gascon, George Gascon. They're going to vote for DAs, and they're going to vote for uh, you know public uh, 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 government officials like mayors and so forth who are soft on crime, knowing that they can have a lot more room to operate in their criminal enterprises and a much better likelihood of being released if they are sentenced at all, being released early if they elect those kind of people. So to me, if you're a felon, you forfeit your right. If you're a felon, that means you do not respect the law, and therefore you forfeit the right to elect people who write the laws and those who enforce them as well. That's how I feel about it.